0: NASA 557, contact tower, 128.15. Caution.
1: Caution. Manual. Fuel. Manual.
2: Fuel. I'm John Golia.
1: I'm Greg Fife. And I'm Todd Cruz. And we are the Flight Safety Detectives. Between us, we have over a century of aviation accident investigation and safety experience to draw on as we discuss issues that affect all of us. So we are qualified to share our perspectives
2: on accidents and incidents and what can be learned from them for
1: the future. We're proud to say that we have two sponsors that really relate to the topic of aviation safety. The Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, or PAMA, and Avemco Insurance. Later on in the show, we'll tell you how you can get a 5% discount on your returns just for listening to the show.
0: We don't just dissect the official reports. In every episode, we identify safety issues and take the mystery out of accident investigations.
2: So maybe pilots in their planes can have safer flights ahead.
1: Well, hello, gentlemen. It is another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. It's good to see you guys. Uh, John and I got back from Oshkosh, so we're going to talk about that briefly, Todd. But uh, you've pulled up some accidents today that, uh, you know, are a little out of the ordinary, but it isn't for the faint of heart, if you will, given the fact that uh, a lot of these flights are thrill-seeking flights, as John puts it. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, those accidents and the regulations that oversee those types of operations. So I will turn it over to you, my friend. Well, thanks for that. And,
0: uh, you know, as usual, I went trolling in the NTSB database looking for, rather than accidents, but for uh, major reports. And one that that caught my eye was from back in 2021. It was talking about certain kinds of flights, including uh, commercial Part 91 flights, which uh, were a hodgepodge of flights in this report, but they all had one thing in common. These were flights open to the public. These were not flights on an airline like a Part 121 or a Part 135 carrier. And they involved serious injury or death. Some of them had a whole lot of uh, press coverage. For example, there was a balloon flight in Texas that killed over a dozen people. A B-17 crash in uh, in, in Connecticut, which killed several uh, uh, people on a sightseeing flight. And one that caught my eye was from 2017. This was an aerobatic flight that was on a kind of aircraft that's, that does airshow-type aerobatics, but it was run by a company that was touting a Top Gun-type experience, and they had allowed you, as a passenger, to manipulate the controls as well. So this was uh, for this passenger who was killed. He had actually flown with this company a couple of years before the event, but in this particular event, there were some, let's just say, some aerobatic maneuvers being uh, done that, according to the NTSB report exceeded the aircraft's capabilities. And the, uh, among other things, the aircraft was out of control. They apparently, the pilot apparently tried to uh, initiate a bailout, but it was uh, too low and uh, the aircraft was going too fast and too out of control. And unfortunately, both people were killed. And this illustrates the kind of thing that we talked about a couple of weeks ago with that ocean gate event out near the Titanic in that there are a lot of things you can do in aviation that are thrilling, that get the adrenaline pumping, and that are not your normal aircraft fly. And the rules are broad enough to allow those kinds of activities. For example, flying in a World War II Warbird uh, on a sightseeing flight, which was the uh, what happened with the fatal event in Connecticut, flying in one of these uh, kinds of aircraft, or flying an air tour type uh, aircraft where you can fly within 25 statute miles of uh, the location, return to the originating place, and you don't have to have the same kind of oversight and scrutiny that you would have in most commercial flights.
1: Yeah, that, um, that comes under 91147 147 um, with regard to carrying um, passengers, if you will, for hire. And, um, and if you have an operation like we're talking about where you're going to go give somebody in the back who does not hold a pilot certificate or even uh, a student certificate, um, but is out there as a thrill seeker, uh, all they have the that company has to do is apply to the FAA, tell them what they intend to do, and they can get an exemption or a letter of authorization under ninety one one forty seven that says, "Yeah, this is a commercial operation under ninety one, and as long as you meet these standards and you have a drug and alcohol program, we'll give you this letter of authorization that exempts you from the other parts of the regulation." And like you were talking about, as long as you take off and land at the same place and you stay within 25 statute miles, um, you're good to go. And so that's about the extent of the oversight. And in this particular accident, the NTSB talked about the fact that the FAA's oversight of this operation um, was performed at uh, less than 10% of the total workload for this particular inspector. And so it, it, again, They're out there, they're uh, yanking and banking and giving the the passenger in the back a thrill. Um, You know, they record these. They had multiple cameras on this aircraft. And fortunately, one of the cameras, which ended up leaving the airplane mid-flight after having recorded the entire flight from uh, start up till the uh, canopy uh, left the aircraft, uh, was recovered two years later and had good video and audio on it, which assisted the NTSB in determining whether or not the passenger was flying or, uh, or the, um, the pilot was flying or a combination of both. And, and that was critical. Um, not that this accident couldn't have been figured out, but that provided a lot of detail that the board didn't originally have. Because the question is, well, why did the canopy separate from the, <laughs> from the aircraft mid-flight because it was found some distance away? Well, the video basically proved it, that you know the pilot intentionally got rid of the canopy and it was presumed by the board uh, in their analysis that it was for the intent of bailing out of that <laughs> uh, uncontrolled airplane as it was heading to the ground.
0: And it was fortunate in a sense that the canopy separated because the impact was so powerful that most of the components that were at the main crash location were burned and destroyed. And there was uh, some wreckage left, but again, this was a high impact, high energy collision.
2: You know what's going going on today with all these, this this money that has come into the market, you know, internet money or whatever. We have a lot of people they're just out there for the flow of it. You know, if you look at some of the auto driving schools, uh, there's there's opportunities to go drive a NASCAR car and do uh, defensive driving at, at high speeds. You know, we have this, as Todd mentioned in the beginning, we have the submarine. Oh yeah, we got enough money. I'm gonna go dive down and see the Titanic. You know, these these are a whole bunch of people in our society. Actually, in society around the world, because it's coming from other places as well, that have more money than they know what to do with. And they're trying to get all this adventure into their lives. And there's more than enough companies out there willing to provide you with all kinds of risky adventure. And uh, this is just one unfortunate outcome of that.
1: Well, you bring up a good point, John, and, and with all of that thrill-seeking, yeah, flying a B-17 Warbird, it's not necessarily the thrill because that airplane does not fly fast and it does not do aerobatics unless a wing is shot off, um, and then those are unintentional aerobatics, but um, that, that's for the, the memory, if you will, of flying in an airplane that uh, really dominated World War II. And so, you know, that's a different kind of flying. But what the board brought up in that particular investigation was because it was it too was being operated under Part ninety one, which is the lowest level of uh, of regulation, if you will, for commercial operation or at least a flight for hire. Um, they were critical of the maintenance because these guys are trying to turn a wrench as fast as they can to get the airplane up and flying because those are revenue people in the back. They're paying four to 600 bucks a pop to uh, to joyride that airplane for about 25 minutes. And so they can't afford to have that airplane sitting on the ground or they're going to lose business. Um, the accident that we're talking about uh, with this extra 300, man, you, yeah, that's yanking and banking. We're going to give you that top gun experience. We're going to pull positive Gs and negative Gs, and you're going to feel like you're a real fighter pilot. Um, And now my my concern is commercial space. Um, Recently, uh, they put uh, three people, um, two women and and an older gentleman in uh, in a Virgin aircraft and took it up to the edge of space. And it kind of pains me, one, to think that, okay, these people, the price to to do that now is about four hundred fifty thousand dollars. So like you said, John, yeah, these people have a lot of money burning a hole in their pocket for what? They're going up, they're going to see the edge of space, not necessarily because you can't see space. You see the curvature of the earth. Well, we've got airplanes right now, <laughs> and the SST was one of those airplanes that flew up in those altitudes where you could see the curvature of the earth and to say, well, I get to go pull negative Gs and float around and, you know, in a zero G environment. I can take you up in an airplane right now and NASA has this thing called the vomit comet where they have a pretty big airplane and they put a bunch of people in it and they go up and push over and everybody's floating around in negative G. So you don't necessarily need to go to space. But the other thing is these, I I don't know if it's this ego. I'm sure it is an ego thing, but these people think they're coming back as astronauts. Guess what? You're never going to be an astronaut because you don't meet the definition. And the FAA is very, uh, definitive on the definition of an astronaut. And an astronaut participates in the conduct of the flight um, for public safety and for human spaceflight safety. These people are just in a seat going on for a ride. They get to take their seatbelt off, float around for a little while, get back in the seat, and they come down. That's not being an astronaut. So to strap on uh, astronaut wings or call them or even refer to them as an astronaut. Um, it is just egregious, but they can tell all their friends and family that they did this and they think they're an astronaut. And, um, and again, where does that thrill stop? What are we going to have to do to really have, I mean, the FAA is responsible for commercial space flight. So is it going to take a tragic accident? Then what? So are you going to limit the people? Are you going to limit uh, what goes on uh, with these, quote, tourist flights? I mean, you know, we keep opening the door, you know, to to these thrill flights that could have very, very serious ramifications in the end, because, you know, we there's a lot of stuff we don't know uh, with this spaceflight. And and again, we got to learn lessons from all these past accidents. This isn't the first one with a top gun type school you got. um, There's a number of flight schools, one in Arizona and another one, I believe, in, in Vegas. Where they take two airplanes up, two Sierra Marchettis, You're in one, and you know there's a pilot and another person in the other one. Then you literally are going out there having a dogfight. And we've had accidents where these guys were dogfighting, yanking and banking. And when somebody should have, you know, zigged, they zagged, and unfortunately, bad things happened. So these kinds of accidents, and as a as somebody that's looking to do this, you really got to do your due diligence, just like you guys talked about with uh, with the Titan. Yeah, these guys spent a lot of money, but really? You're not, I mean, with that kind of money, aren't you going to do a little better due diligence of who this guy is, who this company is, and what the hell this thing is made out of before you go venturing down? I mean, it just, it, it just boggles my mind that people are willing to to throw their money around, sign multiple pages of releases, you know, like eh, whatever it's you know, it's just like getting on a roller coaster at uh, you know Six Flags. No, it isn't. So, speaking
0: in defense of thrill seekers, speaking as someone who actually uh, went uh, parachuting once, it was a static line jump. It was not like the modern era where you uh, strap yourself onto someone. And it's ten thousand feet, we we're like three thousand feet up, static line. It was, uh, okay, I had my little bit of adrenaline then. I said to myself, that was interesting. That was a unique experience. I don't need to experience it again. Now, you get that uh, limit, that pegging your fun meter. Does that happen in something that is relatively low risk? That is something, although hazardous, has been done hundreds of thousands of times, perhaps millions of times over the life of aviation, versus something that may have been only done a few dozen times, Uh, private space flights, uh, submersibles going to the Titanic, et cetera. At what level do you say to yourself, enough is enough? Now, adrenaline is adrenaline. You can get an adrenaline rush for a 100 bucks or so or for a half million dollars or so. Just because you can spend a half million doesn't make you special. It just means you have expensive adrenaline.
1: I'll strap you to the roof rack of my car and go 80 miles an hour. That'll give you a thrill. <laughs> I mean... Close. You know, to each his own. But you bring up a good point here, Todd, about skydiving. You know, in this particular flight, these guys are wearing parachute packs. Now, if you have never flown an aircraft, let alone jumped out of an aircraft, and you have an aircraft that is spinning or or gyrating in the sky out of control, do you really think that somebody that has zero experience in aviation, is Even if you have 10,000 feet, are going to be able to get themselves out of that aircraft, get outside the cockpit, on the wing, jump off without getting whacked by a part of the airplane, free fall, and then pull that chute open with the briefing that they probably got, which was 15 minutes. It, it, it's just mind-boggling. I mean, okay. In this case, yeah, the pilot, he's probably experienced, he's probably jumped out of an airplane, and he would have been just fine. Meanwhile, the other guy, the passenger, is still stuck in the wreckage. So, again, if you're going to do these things, you really have to do your due diligence. You really have to understand the risk. And I don't care if they give you a briefing. High stress, high anxiety situation, panic scared out of your mind that this airplane is rolling out of control and you think you're going to be able to just unbuckle, stand up and get out, it isn't going to work. Not in any way, shape or form.
0: Now, uh, one of the, uh, well, it's always tragic when people are are killed, but the uh, passenger in this case had actually flown with this company like a couple of years before, a young father, mid-30s, two children. And uh, having done this once and doing it again, I have to ask myself, okay, I'm not against a little adrenaline, having gone through that myself. If you've done it once, what is the benefit of doing it a second time?
1: Take your holiday as seriously as British Airways Holidays takes your holiday. So ditch your desk, set your out-of-office on, and unwind on the white, sandy beaches of the Dominican Republic with an all-inclusive, family-friendly break at the Grand Palladium Palace Resort and Spa, or luxurious adult-only getaway at the TRS Tocquesa Hotel. Book now with a low deposit at va.com slash palladium. T's and C's apply. At all protected. Well, the other thing is, and, and all three of us have been there and we continue to be there. Every time you get in an airplane as a rated pilot and you fly, you're going to get an adrenaline pump because there's going to be somebody that passes right in front of you that, you know, by the grace of God, didn't hit you. Um, there's always something where you're landing in a crosswind, or you're taking. I mean, there's always something that's going to give you that little adrenaline pump in a more controlled environment. Wow. And I'm not against doing this because I've jumped out of airplanes as well, and yeah, it was thrill and and all, and it was fun and it was a great time. Um, but you really have to do your homework. I know these companies are out there. They think they operate with the, the highest levels of safety, and they try to do that. I'm not going to I'm not gonna say they don't, but then you have these unfortunate events, or you have a pilot who decides, I'm going to give you an extra thrill, and we're going to go out there and really yank and bank, and like you were talking about, the, the board found that it's obvious that they yanked and banked beyond or exceeded the, the structural limitations of the aircraft because they could actually see. The canopy start to separate from the fuselage in the video before the pilot actually released the canopy, which says that they were in a high stress environment. You think about the the tour helicopters, both in the Grand Canyon and in Hawaii. I've done a number of tour helicopters where, um, if uh, if you've flown on the ones in uh, in um, Arizona in the Grand Canyon, they take. People, they put you on, they strap you in, and then they take you right to the edge of, of uh, part of the canyon. And then they dump that nose over and they stand it on its nose and give you that roller coaster thrill ride. Well, that, too, has led to multiple accidents. Why? Because these pilots are, you know, they get that adrenaline rush just like the passengers. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really thrill them by getting close. Well, guess what? Some of these guys have gotten too close. And bad things happen. So again, um, it, it is a part of a, a, our industry that you, yes, it's not going to go away anytime soon. But if you are going to uh, to engage and uh, and and really participate in something like that, the suggestion from the flight safety detectives is do your homework.
2: And I've been waiting for you to come clean, Greg, on our little. Uh... Karambara tour you know we yep. talked about it but two of you and I both did did the uh, the uh, zero gravity thing and aer- did
1: it with uh, we did it with one of the best aeroshow pilots in the world um and it was it was a very controlled uh, prescriptive type maneuver and the best thing about it was that I've never seen John lighter on his feet Then in that aircraft, when he was sitting in the back, he took off his seatbelt, and he was floating around in zero G. That would have been a heck of a YouTube video. (laughs) Believe me, if I could have recorded that, I would have.
2: It was a lot of fun. And that's what aviation can be, a lot of fun. But you can go over the line and these two dim. And uh, we can cite many, many others where they went over the line.
1: Yeah. And it's it is one of those things where, I mean, there are rules and regulations. And yes, um, there are organizations that will take it right up to the edge. In this case, the board found that this particular pilot took it over the edge. Now, the company is, well, you know, we didn't know we're not in the aircraft. We can't oversee. Yeah, you can because that is your responsibility. And that's your responsibility to the flying public from which you take money. So you you have the responsibility of ensuring that the people that are going to uh, take you up there in that aircraft and do the maneuvers that are going to, quote, thrill you, are doing it within the bounds and the limits, not only of the aircraft, but of themselves. Yeah, and that's a tough call to make. To yeah. yeah, well, we saw a lot of air show uh, aircraft. We we. I mean, every time we go to Oshkosh, John, um, our friends are flying. We got a number of friends that fly in the air shows there. But we had two tragic accidents. One again involving a Warbird, not participating in the airshow event, but actually just taking off on a return flight to uh, Texas. But it's evident that apparently right after takeoff, as they're climbing to altitude, there may have been some fun flying going on if you will. nobody knows for sure uh, the board's still investigating but there must have been something going on that uh, the pilot lost control of the aircraft, whether it was a mechanical malfunction or failure or something that uh, she you know was maneuvering the aircraft and, and could not handle is yet to be determined. but there was a loss of control with that with that war bird and, and it was a tragic outcome uh, as well as the mid-air collision that we had out there. The positive thing, and it's too bad that, uh, you know, Todd, Mr. Pilot, Mr. I'm not going with you because I got better things to do, um, (laughs) missed out on some pretty cool stuff that you and I got to see, John. Um, We visited a number of vendors. We got some exciting news um, that, uh, yes, we are going to start selling merchandise for the flight safety detectives. So you're going to be able to outfit yourself with hats, shirts, and other cool things from the flight safety detectives. And uh, we, we look forward to that because we know we have a very good following and we want you to show off the, the, that you do follow us. And so uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, John and I have entered into a uh, an initial deal that um because of the travel that we do and i know you do too uh todd that (laughs) our luggage gets beat up on a pretty regular basis and we all go through suitcases like uh like going out of style well (laughs) what john i lost two
2: suitcases in one month not lost had them beat up to the point where they're not usable
1: well Yeah, but you got to stop using those brown paper bags. They last longer if you don't use a bag. So, But but, uh, our friends at MyGoFlight, we've entered into a discussion with them about uh, having a signature line of of luggage uh, for the flight safety detective. So we're really excited about that. And I'm talking uh, to some other folks um, as well. But uh, we did see some very cool, innovative things uh, that benefit general aviation safety. One of them is from uh, our friends over at, uh, uh, who was that, John, Uh, Aprio
2: Pario.
1: Pario. And um, they've been around for a long time. I had one of their first um, recording devices for general aviation airplanes. We got talking to them and now they actually have a flight data recorder that's about the size of a cigarette pack that can be installed in general aviation airplanes to record your flights, which I think is just awesome, especially uh, for flight schools and that kind of stuff. With all the flight training going on and all the flight training accidents, this sure would help investigators. Um, One of the other things that I'm really excited about, because I'm working several accidents right now involving carbon monoxide in airplanes, and Lightspeed Headset has now come out with an integrated CO monitor in their in their headset that works through an app and through the aircraft and will tell you when uh, there is a rise in carbon monoxide. It'll give you oral alerts. It'll give you a visual alert. And I'm really excited about that. I've been talking to them and I'm hoping to flight test that so we can talk about it on the show because carbon monoxide is still a problem in airplanes and um and it 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 will always be as long as we have a gas burning engine and a muffler <laughs> and you know an exhaust stack so um i think this is just great innovative technology because you know i'm sure what what do you use in your airplane that you fly todd um do you have that little button that little stick on thing that you stick on the the panel and it'll turn colors when it senses co or do you have a a, an oral warning or some other device in your airplane
0: i have absolutely nothing
1: Oh, there you go see so this is the kind of Mr. safety no safety equipment yeah well this is the kind of equipment that will really bolster uh pilots especially since we use uh the heater all the time in these ga airplanes um, in the wintertime or when when the weather's cool or even at altitude, if you're high enough, where um, where you definitely need a little bit of, of heat. So um, I'm really excited about this. And I know, John, that uh, you got to see some uh, some maintenance things since that's right up your alley.
2: Well, there's a lot going on in maintenance, a lot of new tools coming out, uh, which was quite interesting uh, with the current uh, and mechanics. There's no shortage of efforts to get people uh, into the hangers, turning wrenches. There's no no shortage of uh, new ways to deliver the information uh, that's been out there. I am really amazed at uh, what some of the manufacturers have been doing with using YouTube uh, to deliver how to hook up their test equipment and so on. I'm not so thrilled with some of the YouTube videos I see that are generated by individuals that are showing how to make a repair and it's and oftentimes it's not in accordance with the manual. Yeah. So, so anybody out there listening to us that does turn righteous, be careful where you get your information from. And uh, I had some discussions with Boeing uh, before the show, and uh, they're looking to do more with their manuals uh on YouTube. And uh, Airbus does a lot already. Uh, so there's, there's big changes coming in the whole maintenance the information flow. And we're going to need it with so many new mechanics coming in because yeah. it's definitely a problem today that the old gray hairs, like me, no hair, <laughs> uh, are, are out of the business and they're no longer in position to, to mentor some of these young guys coming in. Uh, either the old guys that are there, there's just not enough of them given the influx of how many new mechanics. So there's a limit of how much time you can spend with any one individual to try to give them the guidance or the wisdom of your work here. It's not well, an interesting time.
1: Well, and I uh, I I am I sit on the board of the General Aviation Awards, and I was honored to uh, to MC that again this year. We recognized three outstanding individuals for the Flight Instructor of the Year, the maintenance technician of the year and the fast team representative of the year. And, um, all three were outstanding. So if uh, you're interested in, in finding more out um, about them, go to the, uh, the general aviation award website, uh, you'll be able to read about them. The other thing, and I think the more intriguing thing is the some of the people that John and I ended up stopping to speak with, and some of them would speak to us. <laughs> Um, we did, uh, we did a little, uh, meet and greet, uh, with our sponsor of insurance. And that was always, that's always a great time. We get to talk to some very nice people and of course, interact with the, the folks from Avemco and learn more about what they're doing to, uh, to push the insurance market forward, especially, um, addressing the aging pilot issue, that is general aviation pilots coming up on age 70. That's an interesting discussion because a lot of pilots are having difficulty getting personal insurance, and the Vemco is definitely one to talk to if, uh, if you're running into that situation. The other thing, and I think the more intriguing thing, um, is that John had a conversation with the chairman of the National Transportation Safety Board. And it was quite entertaining to sit and listen to what she had to say. But John got to speak to her firsthand. And um, did you learn anything, John?
2: Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I did get to, to, to call her up and have uh, coffee.
1: With- I think we should have her on the show. I think, you know what, we talk about the NTSB and the things they don't do in some of these reports. The investigations are, are in, I can't even say anything that's best at best with these reports. Um, maybe we should give her an opportunity to come on and defend the board, and why these reports are scant, why they don't have very good conclusions, why they don't have very thorough and methodical investigative. Uh, factual information to support a probable cause or why they keep defaulting to pilot loss control for unknown reasons or engine failures for unknown reasons. Because I'm in a business and so are you guys, but I'm in a business where if I can find out what caused it and we talk about it on this show all the time, the, between the three of us, if we can figure that out two, three, four years after the accident, why can't they, especially when we bring up questions and issues that Apparently, they didn't think of or they didn't bother to address. And so maybe we should have her on the show. Let's invite her. I'm all for hey, that. Bob. So okay. that's your that's your mission, John. Put out I'll, the invite.
2: I'll invite her and see what happens.
0: I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a fun new podcast called So There I Was. If you're a fan of aviation or simply enjoy hearing captivating stories, then this is the podcast for you. Hosted by former Marine pilots Fig and Repeat, this podcast shares first-hand accounts of flying experiences that will have you on the edge of your seat. Whether you're in the mood for something funny, scary, poignant, or tragic, this podcast has it all. With a and conversational tone, the pilots share their stories like you're sitting right there with them at the bar after a flight. Hear from fighter pilots, astronauts, Blue Angels, aircraft carrier captains, Navy and Coast Guard rescue pilots, and many more. Most have survived near-death experiences. Others have overcome incredible disabilities to continue to fly airplanes. You'll hear about heart-pumping moments in the cockpit, hilarious screw-ups during flights, insane hijinks off-duty, and the challenges pilots routinely face. Hear what it feels like to be shot off the bow of a carrier or into space. Experience the terror of landing on a pitching deck on a night so black that the pilot can barely taxi afterwards because his legs are shaking so badly. Hear firsthand how lonely it is to be in the middle of the ocean in a life raft on a dark night in eight-foot seas. Each story is unique and told with a level of detail that will make you feel like you were there. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll laugh until you cry. But one thing is certain, you won't be bored. So there I was. It's how all great aviation tales begin.
1: Well, gentlemen, I think this was a good show. Um, and I'm glad that we were able to, uh, to not only talk about an aspect of aviation that the general public really needs to know, um, while it isn't, um, widely, um, engaged on by the general public, the non-aviation public, um, these companies do exist, especially the tour operators and that kind of thing. And, and again, it's all about doing your homework. Um, you, you know, it, it's kind of scary when you, you know, you order an Uber, you expect an Uber, and then some guy shows up and, you know, <laughs> says, yeah, I'm an Uber guy, or I'm a, a Lyft guy, or I'm Joe's, you know, XYZ car lift service, and you get in and it's not them, or the regulations they're supposed to abide by aren't being followed. And, and it, it is all about doing your homework, doing your due diligence, not only for, um, you know, public safety, but your personal safety and your family safety. So definitely do that. So with that, I will leave Todd with our second to the last
0: word. Well, uh, given the subject of our show today, I had my own adrenaline experience uh, this afternoon. I was uh, flying back to uh, my home airport outside of Boston, taking off from Hyannis on the Cape. Uh, No, I wasn't there to have fun. I was there to get some uh, cross-country time in. Shortly after takeoff, a small flock of seagulls flew right below me. I thought, hmm, that was close. Then shortly after that, a small flock of seagulls flew above me. That was close. I thought, on average, they would have flown right through me. I'm glad they were both above and below average. Yeah, because
1: uh, you would have gotten wet. I would have. Well... And, John, being the as, patriarch of the show,
2: you usual, have our
1: final word.
2: As usual, I'll be the preacher. As we haven't changed a damn thing in this business. If you're going to go flying, do a good job of doing a pre-planning session before you go out to the airport. Do it again when you get to the airport. When you go out to your airplane, do a good pre-flight. Interestingly, I had a number of conversations with people at Oshkosh about free flights. And they are it's across the sky. People doing good ones, think they're doing good ones. When you ask about some of the details, they're not doing good ones. Uh, and there needs to be a better method to, for each airplane to tell people what to look for. You know, I advocate on the show that they go talk to a mechanic who works on the airplane to tell them what to look for. But you know, we did accidents and someone, you know, one very recent that involved lousy pre-flights. We've had comments from our, our audience about even an airline captain commented about he's changed his pre-flight based upon things that we've said on the show. I mean, based on you know, we're looking, you, you used to say it in the beginning, Greg, we we got hundreds of years experience between the three of us. And we're trying to help the people out there that maybe not have the experience of exposure to understand the risk that they're taking. So you've got to do a good free flight. If you're going to fly an airplane that you can touch, move the controls, uh, do it. We actually had Piper with a wing problem that was discovered by somebody that shook the wing on his airplane. Routinely doing the free flight, and all of a sudden one day, hey, this thing's moving. It never used to move. That opened the, the door to doing an inspection and finding a big problem. So touch your airplane, and after you get in your airplane, you pay attention to your surroundings. You get in the air, put that head on a swivel, because like Oshkosh with the mid-airs, I mean, that's an environment It's, it's quite risky, but people should be in the know, that are there and we still had a big accident with that so put that head on a swivel and know what's going on around you please please fly safely
1: thank you for checking out our show we really value our listeners and subscribers our podcast gets ranked by you and how much you like it so please give us five stars in your podcast platform we want to keep in contact with you
2: we are on Facebook Twitter Instagram and of course, YouTube.
0: You can email the show at flightsafetiedetectors at gmail.com. By the way, if you're on YouTube, we're really working on growing the channel and it helps if you all send in comments. Please do that. And we read
1: all the comments. And be sure to subscribe. Remember, if you're in the market for aviation insurance, you can save 5% with Avemco just by mentioning our show. Visit them at www.avemco.com. .avemco.com. That's it for this episode of the Flight Safety Detective. Until the next episode, fly safe.